Who is Lisa McPherson and what exactly happened to her? Well, my name is Ashlyn and I'm here to tell you all about it. All right, this Lisa story, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, is kind of long, but awful at the same time. So it's just get ready. So Lisa kind of had a troubled past and a bad home life. So as soon as she turned 16, she was ready to go, ready to get out of there and everything. But she had to wait till she was 18 to where she joined the Church of Scientology. Now, let me give you a little backstory on that. For the sake of time, I'm really going to only talk about what the Scientologists do psychologically just for this story. Basically, they don't believe in psychiatrists, and they believe that they are literally works of the devil. So, if anybody has any mental problems, they are just going to lock them in a room until they figure it out. They're not going to really have anybody talk to them. They're just going to have them figured out. You know, they have a mental breakdown. Oh, lock them in a room, and they'll figure it out themselves. Yeah, okay, that's the backstory you got for this story, right? So, 18-year-old, she joins. She's like, this is great. I get to leave my awful, awful life, but I'm, I'm starting new. I'm starting new, and it's going to be great. So, she's this vibrant, friendly person, and she was dedicated to this. She's like, this is giving me a whole new life. It's going to be great. Going to be great. She had a good-paying job, but um, <clears throat> this job was run by fellow Scientologists, right? So kind of like a big circle. And this all takes place in Clearwater, Florida, where there's a Scientologist spiritual headquarters there. So Lisa was like, well, I'm going to go there. That's where she lives, has this job. It's great. Love and life, right? Right. So Lisa's living this great new life in her new town, and she's like going up the bridge, as the Scientologists say. She's like working toward her spiritual perfection. She's helping with church product projects, worked on a relationship with a new boyfriend, and then this all started to weigh on her, and she felt very pressured, and she told her friend that she'd just rather go back to Dallas, which is her hometown, and pursue her own life and own career by herself, kind of without the church. And so, in June 1995, she was like, you know what, no, I need to stay with the church as long as they can give me my emotional help that I need, because she was thinking about suicide. So she told her friend, you know, I think I'm going crazy. And so the Scientology people were like, well, let's help you out. And this is where it starts to get crazy. So the leader of, like, Scientology, who is David Miscavige, began Lisa's auditing, which is basically their, like, therapy sessions um, so they can move up this bridge, the spiritual bridge that Lisa was doing great at, apparently. And so Miscavige was like, you're doing great. You don't have any mental blocks and you're great. And she was like, well, that's amazing. I must be great. Yeah, wrong. It was later that year that she was like, "Mm, something's fishy. I'm actually not okay. So she's like, I still don't feel good. And they're like, nah, you're good. So she calls her mom like 
right after they say she's fine. And she's like, I'm having trouble at work. And she's let her church down, basically. And she just is really down on herself and feels bad. So everybody's like, you know, she's starting to act strange and this is weird. And like, she's not good, right? Oh, well. Um, A month or two later, Lisa is driving down to Clearwater when traffic starts slowing down. And Lisa gets distracted and accidentally rams into this boat in front of her. You know, the wreck isn't bad or anything, but paramedics show up and they're like, yo, you good? And she's like, I'm fine physically, but like, I need help. And they're like, uh, what? And so she signs off on her release and then the ambulance is like, cool, we're leaving. And then Lisa strips naked, middle of the street, and starts walking around. And they're like, um, what are you doing, ma'am? And she's like, oh, I need people to think I'm crazy because I need help. She's like, I just need somebody to talk to. And so they're like, yeah, we'll take you to the hospital. <laughs> Let's go. Put your clothes on. They go there. She's at the hospital. Suddenly, a bunch of Scientologists show up and they're like, oh my gosh, Lisa, what are you doing? Why are you in here? They can't help you. We can. And she's like, oh, okay, well, let's go. So all these Scientologists, um, including Elaine, Judy, Mary, Annie, Humberto, Dr. Jean, Emma, and David Slaughter, responded to the call and checked on Lisa and took her out of the hospital. And so they come back and they're like, you know what, Lisa, you need a little help. So you are gonna go back to your audits, right? Right. So they take her back to the Scientologist like hotel thing that they have and put her into this room 174. Now, let's back up a little bit. Her new doctor, basically, like her specialist, is like, yeah, she's a type 3. Basically, what a type 3 is, is like, she's insane. She's gone crazy and she needs to be corrected. So, we're going to put her in the introspection rundown, which is, as I was talking about, again, when they have that mental breakdown or whatever, they just lock him in the room. Yeah, they're going to just lock her in a room and she's going to fix herself, right? Very, very, very wrong. So they put her in there and she's like losing it, right? Uh, she was supposed to be watched but not spoken to for 24 hours of the day. And only her case supervisor, which um, is the Al- Elaine Kartuszynski is her case supervisor, she could only talk to her by, like, writing stuff down to her. And she's the only one that could talk to her. But, um, that didn't work. It did not work. So, yeah, not good. Definitely not good. Also, that Elaine person, uh, not a doctor at all. Actually, every single one of these people that helps with Lisa, not a doctor. Doesn't have a license or anything. They're just like, we're we're good. We're good enough. She's, we're all she needs. So a security person was placed outside of this 174 door, right? This room that Lisa's kept in. And they would wait 
for Elaine to decide if Lisa had, like, snapped out of her mental instability or if she was still insane. Little did they know Lisa never would. Anyway, fast forwarding, Lisa became very, very violent, which, you know, who can blame her considering she's locked in this room for 24 hours a day? It's, it's awful. She's uh, hitting people, breaking things, yelling, acting crazy, running away. She's, like, making her hygiene awful. She's soiling herself, taking off all her clothes, spitting out any food they try to give her, and just refusing to cooperate with, like, anything they try to do. Like, she's just like, no, you will not incarcerate me, basically. So they're like, Lisa, just snap out of your psychosis. And her caretakers are like, you know, we're going to take care of you because we're responsible for your safety and health. But you got to start eating, drinking, sleeping, washing yourself. Like, come on, let's get this together, Lisa. And she's like, "Mm, no, not going to happen. So Lisa is taken to her apartment by two women and they get her a change of clothes or whatever. But then the manager of the apartment, you know, sees them and is later, um, like asked about what he, they saw and they're like, yeah, so two women brought her to the apartment and like, I don't know why they were bringing her. She seemed really messed up and she couldn't really walk on her own. It was really weird, basically. So one of her caretakers, like, wrote down, because they all keep notes of how she's doing, basically, went into the room at, like, 2 a.m. one day. And she was incoherently talking nonstop. Like, she's actually insane at this point because she's been kept in this room for so long with just, like, awful conditions. She's shaking with no warm clothes on, like, literally only wearing a top, shorts, and shoes without socks. She's only slept for four hours and got up, and then she's, like, going crazy and, like, not wanting them to touch her, which, like, I don't blame her, uh, but she's, like, shaking. They finally get clothes on her. She's still talking just to herself and refusing to eat, spitting out everything that they give her, she, her hygiene is just awful, and she looks like she has diseases, basically, a fever to the touch, and, like, halfway through the next day, she's very violent again, trying to hit people, yelling that she's gonna kill people, like, like, insane, insane, you know, and she's just full of rage, basically. She finally drank a protein shake, which is, like, good, but, like, that's not gonna be good for long, But she wouldn't sleep, and she basically was just insane. And that was her all the time. Like, that was just a report from one day, but that was her all the time. So on the fifth day, November 23rd, Johnson came by to check on Lisa, and she had, like, this bruise on her arm. And, you know, she had some bruises, too, like, later on uh, when we get to the trial. And everybody was like, oh, she's very violent. Like, she would hit herself with stuff, or just, like, honestly hit herself, like, with her hand, because she was just insane, and that's why she has the bruises, but some people think that it was actually her caretakers who abused her, or maybe, like, even sexually assaulted her, which is just awful, because she was already in awful conditions, like, she needed mental help in, like, a mental hospital, but instead, these people in this Scientology church locked her in a room and, like, just 
forced everything on her, basically. So, like, days pass still, and Lisa's still violent. She's not giving up, but she's, like, running out of energy. And so her main, her main person, Kartuzinski, remember, Elaine? They're like, "Mm, I think it's time to sedate her because she's not getting enough sleep and she's really violent. And so they're like, "Mm, okay, that sounds good. So they crush up some aspirin, some Benadryl, put in some orange juice and grab one of their, you know, little turkey basters in their kitchen and start to inject this orange juice mixture into the back of her throat, like holding her down and just injecting this into her. And like, she obviously drinks it because they're just putting it down her throat. And so like an hour later, she's asleep. She's out, right? It, she's gone. And they continue to do this for like days. They force feed her these drugs to make sure she's getting sleep and being good, right? Yeah. Well, not too later, she's not feeling good, right? They're like, hmm, maybe we should take her to the hospital because she's really not good. Like, she's defecating on the bed. She doesn't walk around. She doesn't sleep. She just lays there. Like, we try to feed her, but she doesn't eat. And this is weird. Like, why is she acting like this? Um, She's turning very weak, and they're trying to give her magnesium shots to, like, make her feel good, but it's not working. She has scratches and abrasions all over her body, and her elbows and knees has a bunch of pressure sores because of how weak and how much weight she has lost from being in this room. She's been in here for so long, and they're not doing anything to help her. They're just locking her in here, hoping that she, like, gets more mentally stable, but it's not working at all. So finally, after some discussion amongst the caretakers, they decide to take her to a hospital. They pick her up and put her in a car. You know, her pulse and breathing is like slow at this point. I mean, they've been feeding her drugs for days, right? And, um, or force feeding her drugs for days and she's not eating or drinking anything else. And so they put her in this car, drive to the hospital, whatever, immediately the doctors are like, what in the world is going on? They put an IV in her leg and they're like trying everything they can to like fix her. And like, there was no question that she was already dead. Like she was dead before she even got to this hospital. Nothing worked. And Dr. Minkoff pronounced Lisa McPherson dead on like, December 5th, December 5th, and, uh, let's just, let's just take a minute and go back and see when she was taken back from this hospital, because she was, oh, I don't know, crazy, she was not crazy, she was literally crazy after they put her in this freaking room for days and days and days and days, right? Okay, so November 22nd, like, that's what? Let's count those days, right? That's, like, a whole month, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, a long time ago. 
December 5th from November 22nd. Not too long, but, like, that's a good amount of days she was locked in this room and is now dead. She's dead. All right, so December 6th, police are like, what the heck happened? Because she was, she's 36. Like, why did she die? And, um, you know, they're like, we're going to go to this room 174 and see what's going on. They go, and they're, like, looking at it, and it's all clean suddenly, and looks very nice, honestly, but we know it didn't look like that, because the doctors and, like, the autopsy photos show bruises and scars, like, all over Lisa's bodies, and the paramedics are like, hey, wait a second, uh, November 18th, when she got in her car accident, she weighed, like, around 140 pounds, But when she was dead on December 5th, she only weighed 108. This girl lost over 30 pounds, like, within less than a month. And that is not healthy at all. So, and and they didn't call an ambulance, but they drove themselves when she was dying in their car. So they say, maybe she was dead before they even got her in the car, but they drove past four emergency rooms to get to the hospital they chose to go to. And, you know, again, she was dead when they got there. So who knows when she actually died. But the Scientologists all push their version of Lisa's death, like, down the police's throats, right? And they're like, uh, I don't really know if I believe you. But, you know, the Scientologists are like, oh, she was insane. And we just tried to help her. And she she just was insane. You know, she wouldn't eat anything. She wouldn't sleep. She was very violent. And we tried to help her. And she just wouldn't take the help. So that's how she passed away. But looking at this autopsy, she has a numerous, numerous bug bites like cockroach bites and even mice or like rodent bites all over her body from where like these insects or these um rodents were eating her possibly as she was living right possibly as she was living or after she died right crazy The worst part about this story is that, like, there was no real justice. The Scientologists, like, the Church of Scientology, were viewed as responsible for her death. But, like, nobody went to jail. And they were just held accountable for her death. Like, nothing happened after that. And it was just really sad because this was a woman who was still living her life and all she wanted was help like mentally she needed help she had a bad childhood and she had all this pressure weighing down on her and she just looked for some help from somebody and what she got was the complete opposite and she died in a very tragic and just torturous way and I feel bad for her and anybody who's gone through the same thing so If you're a Scientologist, think about what your whole thing's about. Because I don't really know about that. But that is the story of Lisa McPherson. 
the sad, sad story. Let me know what you think about it and what you think about this Scientology craziness. And I am over and out.